This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 26th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Tesla Motors is in even more hot water with federal safety authorities, and we'll have the details. And if you are looking for a dependable vehicle, and who isn't, we will have definitive information for you from a very credible source. Much more on that coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack Rad, and back with us, back from illness, is co-host Chris Teague. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about uh, something we are passionate about, namely cars. And Chris, I'm so glad you're back with us. I hope you're feeling 100% tip-top. Are you? (laughs) 100% tip-top is relative, Jack. We just got a puppy, so it's like having a newborn in the house. So uh, a little bit sleep-deprived, but I think healthy. We'll we'll go with that. Does uh, the puppy wander around in the middle of the night or, uh, you know, moan or bark or... All he is in his crate. Uh, he does moan and bark, but uh, he's only nine weeks old, so uh, no freedom for him just yet. Well, we have a 16-year-old dog, and he wakes up in the middle of the night now and kind of walks around a little bit, and then he, uh, we finally get him back settled down. And it could come at any time in the middle of the night, so uh, who knows. This, however, is not dog talk. This is <laughs> about cars. We have a terrific guest for you. Our special guest this week is Mike Koval. He is the CEO of the Ram brand. Ram introduced a special edition truck honoring firefighters at the Chicago Auto Show. We had a chance to catch up with him and get his take on the state of the truck market. And we talked to him a lot about Ram's plans to go electric. Uh, I think we've got some really good information about that coming up. In the road test segment, Chris, what vehicle will you be describing for us this week? I drove the 2022 Honda Passport Trail Sport, Jack, and if you're not familiar with that model, it's a more rugged, sort of off-road oriented version of the Passport, which itself is a shorter, more rugged version of the Honda Pilot. So uh, it's a two-row SUV with some nice uh, off-road touches that I I really had a good time with. Well, very good. I look forward to your fuller description of that. I was driving the 2022 Toyota Highlander, uh, and I will tell you all about the changes in that vehicle in the road test segment. But before we do that, we'll be bringing you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world, so stay with us. We'll tell you all about Tesla's troubles next, so stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad back with you. We're so glad Chris is back with us after a little bout with some stomach problems last week, and it is news time, and... Boy, Tesla, 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 Uh, in trouble again with the feds, with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. NHTSA has said that it is opening a new formal investigation into more than 400,000 Tesla vehicles for unexpected brake activation. That's not a good thing. They brake unannounced (laughs) when they're in autopilot. We've talked about the autopilot system before, and These days, this autopilot system is not all that unusual. Uh, We are running into many vehicles now that will brake and steer automatically as long as they're within a lane. That's what autopilot is supposed to do for Tesla. I'm wondering what what the issue here is, Chris. I mean, 
you've driven vehicles with that kind of system now, and it doesn't seem to be problematic. Uh, it's it's really it is a problem though when your car breaks unexpectedly at highway speeds. Yeah, I think. Yeah, there's there are very few things, Jack, that I think you want your car to do unexpectedly. Uh, braking is absolutely not one of them, and you know you and I have both experienced Super Cruise and to a limited degree limited degree Blue Cruise, which is Ford's uh, system instead of GM system, uh, and never had any of these issues. I've tracked uh, tracked a couple thousand miles of Super Cruise and had none of these none of these issues. So there's some notes here about Tesla moving away from a some sensors and using cameras solely for their their system. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I'm not going to speculate. Uh, but 400,000 cars, sometimes these people are recognizing that this happens multiple times in one trip. So uh, that could be very frustrating in addition to being very dangerous. Like you mentioned, uh, more than frustrating, uh, dangerous as well. And these are not happening on older Tesla models. That's another thing that's a, a head scratcher here. They're happening on 2021 and 2022 Tesla Model 3 and Model Y vehicles, uh, they should have the latest technology. And of course, Tesla is famous for doing over-the-air updates. Again, I, I have to wonder how, why this is happening when others are, are now able to do this and not have this phantom braking problem. Yeah, and I don't know if you've experienced this, Jack, but I have in my testing come across automatic emergency braking systems that flash a warning, which like if there's a large mailbox or something on the side of the road and you're going around a curve, but there's never been an opportunity, or I'm sorry, never an instance of those uh, systems actually breaking without warning. So uh, it, like you say, it's, it's tough to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I think I have experienced it, and thanks for bringing that up, Chris. I have experienced that at very slow speeds when I'm like pulling into the driveway and maybe maybe it thinks I'm going to go through the garage door coming in too hot. Uh, I typically <laughs> get it stopped before I crash into the garage door. Uh, but that kind of thing. But I've never had been going along at, uh, say, 70 miles an hour and suddenly the vehicle wants to brake and brakes you know, pretty hard doing an emergency kind of stop. Yeah, I can imagine uh, in L.A. traffic what that would look like. It would be a problem here with far fewer cars on the road. So hopefully they get it figured out. We have plenty of traffic to deal with, that's certain. Another thing, uh, Tesla has recalled more than 500,000, almost 600,000 vehicles because pedestrians may not be able to hear a required warning sound because of their the Tesla boombox feature. <laughs> you know, it's like... Come on, uh, you know what are we doing here? You know, it's just uh, kind of hilarious in, in some ways. Yeah, I mean, there's a point where features, too many features, are, are too many features. You know, they all they're all fun until they start causing problems. I guess. Yeah. Well, we don't mean to beat up on Tesla, but safety is paramount out there, of course, and uh, we'd like to see everybody be safe. We'd also like to have uh, vehicles that are dependable, and JD Power uh, has done their annual dependability study, the 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study. I, I don't know whether this is surprising. It would probably be surprising to a lot of civilians out there, less surprising to those of us who follow the industry closely. But the Korean auto brands are just doing great in terms of dependability. If you want a dependable car, you used to think Toyota, uh, Honda, those vehicles. These days, you probably should be thinking about Kia, Genesis, and Hyundai. They were three of the top four ranked in the study, and uh, Buick and Toyota were also on the list, so that is good. This is the fewest reported problems after three years of ownership. So what's your overall take on, on that information, Chris? 
Well, I will say, and, and you probably noticed this too, in the past few years, the initial build quality in Kia, Hyundai, Genesis is a newer brand, but the initial build quality is, has skyrocketed. These vehicles are well put together. They're solidly built. Uh, and both the automakers, even though they're extremely closely related, uh, they back their vehicles with long warranties uh, and they take care of their owners. So uh, it's not shocking you know, to see that, although you know, 10 years ago, we probably would be having a very different conversation if we saw a Kia or a Hyundai at the top of the list. Yeah. Absolutely true. And I think the Korean brands have uh, figured out how to build these vehicles very, very well. They have also figured out how to do info infotainment systems that are not uh, impossible to use or very difficult to use. So that is one of the, the important uh, findings as well. Here's another one I thought is interesting out of the study. Owners of mass market vehicles, so popularly priced vehicles like Toyotas and Kias and, and Hyundais, have fewer problems than luxury vehicles. And by a significant number, that's counterintuitive, right? You would think if you're paying a premium price, you would get higher quality. You would get uh, more dependability than if you were paying less. But it doesn't sort out that way. What do you think about that? Yeah, it does, it does seem a little counterintuitive, I guess, until you start to think about the number of uh, gadgets and features that, that uh, high-end luxury and premium vehicles have. Uh, I think there's there might just be more stuff to break or maybe it's tougher to use and people uh, give up and have problems with it. So uh, who could really say? But I think that would be my guess if I had to take a shot at it. Yeah, I think that last you identify, people are uh, just having trouble using stuff that is working as it's designed. You and I have both experienced the fact that uh, systems on luxury vehicles are more complicated. The infotainment system is often more complicated. It's more complicated to use the automatic climate control, which I always find amusing because you have this automatic climate control that in theory you could set it and forget it, right? You just walk away. It's supposed to keep the interior a particular temperature. But I think all of us, I certainly, am always fooling with the automatic temperature control. And in some cars, it's, especially the luxury vehicles, it's difficult to get in there and adjust things. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, following threads on Twitter, it's easy to see people who grow frustrated with these things. You know, the, for some reason, automakers, many of them, it's not just one, have taken to redesigning the wheel for things that seem to work just fine before, you know, uh, things had to change. So why do we need uh, capacitive touch controls for, as you mentioned, automatic climate and and uh, and stereo settings? Why do we need a dial, rot a rotary dial shifter instead of a gear shift? So these are the sort of things that I see, you know, as I'm sort of scrolling through. But uh yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it sounds counterintuitive on its surface. Yeah. Well, let's give credit where credit is due here. Here are the mass market brands that ranked the highest for vehicle dependability. Kia was the overall leader, uh, I, I guess, then followed by Buick, then Hyundai, very, very close there. Toyota had a few more problems per 100 vehicles. And then Dodge was right in there. Uh, we've seen Dodge do very well. Um, in initial quality as well, uh, uh, quality after nine months of ownership, they're doing equally well or, or quite well uh, after three years of ownership. On the luxury side, Genesis, and they are making some really gorgeous looking vehicles as well, but Genesis uh, is doing great in terms of uh, dependability. Lexus was number two. Porsche, hey, you're a Porsche owner, Chris. Uh, how, how do you feel about dependability in Porsche? I don't think my 200,000 mile Porsche is going to make it on the list anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Well, uh, once you get it running, we'll uh, we'll find out even more, won't we? Comes out of the shop today, fingers crossed. Oh, I, I've got my fingers crossed for you. That's good. You that part that you were 
looking for has come in, and uh, all is well, at least on that score. Uh, Cadillac and Lincoln were also right up there in terms of uh, dependability, so I think some surprises along the way and uh, some things that were fairly obvious. Uh, you know, J.D. Power does this study every year, and uh, for all the longest time, the Toyotas and Hondas of the world were doing well. Now Honda is, is notorious or, you know, very significant from its absence on the list, and I'm surprised about that. Here's a, a quick story as we as we go out here. There, there was a fire on a ship, a cargo ship, carrying thousands of uh, luxury vehicles. And uh, this is very sad. 4,000 vehicles, including uh, Volkswagens, Porsches, Audis, Bentleys, and Lamborghinis, essentially were left to burn in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. The crew members were evacuated. They're not sure how the fire started. There's some suggestion that it might have been from uh, lithium batteries aboard one of the cars, but that is totally unconfirmed, but uh, it's a wild scene. Well, when we come back, we will be testing two SUVs for you, so stay with us for that. Uh, with Chris Teague, this is Jack Nee Red, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nee Red, back with you, and it is road test time, and we have, in some ways, a uh, SUV face-off, but they're, in a lot of ways, not competitive with one another either. I think the uh, vehicle Chris is going to tell us about has uh, a lot of off-road abilities. The Toyota Highlander that I'm going to talk about, not so much. But, uh, Chris, tell us all about the vehicle that you were testing this week. Absolutely, Jack. I was spending the week with the Honda Passport Trail Sport. And for those who are not familiar, uh, the Passport was brought back, I think, in 2019 as a two-row SUV. It looks a lot like the Honda Pilot, but it rides higher. It's got seven and a half inches of ground clearance, uh, 8.1 inches for the models that have all-wheel drive. Um, It's shorter. It has shorter overhangs. So uh, even the standard Passport model is decently capable off-road, although it is, you know, still all-wheel drive instead of four-wheel drive, and it's body on frame. I'm sorry, it's unibody instead of body on frame. So it's not the most rugged vehicle, but uh, the Trail Sport model is the mid-trim now for 2022. Starts around $44,000. The base is the EXL, which is quite a well-equipped base model. It's got leather, moonroof, all sorts of other things. Uh, That one starts at just shy of 40. And then the top elite model is just shy of 47,000. So uh, it can be pricey. I think if you, if you're looking for a rugged off-roader, the Passport might not be it, but uh, it's got a lot of great value, uh, which I'll talk about here in just a second. Uh, it still has the 280 horsepower V6 that came in the that comes in the standard Passport. That's a 3.5 liter V6. It's got a nine-speed automatic transmission, uh, and as I mentioned, all-wheel drive. And so, one of the things that Honda says here, and, and they do talk a lot about it, is it's a little bit of torque vectoring. So it's uh, super handling all-wheel drive is what Acura would call it. But uh, they do move. It does move power back and forth between the wheels, so you can get, as I said, some surprising traction off-road and even the standard Passport with with regular tires. But uh, the Trail Sport model is, as I mentioned, new for 2022. Honda's going to expand it to uh, the Ridgeline pickup truck probably and the Pilot uh, down the road, but the Passport is sort of their their uh, testing ground or their debut model for this this series. And really what it is, Jack, is more of a, an appearance package than an off-road performance package. So uh, it's got its own bumpers and a new hood, so it looks different on the outside than the regular Passport does. Uh, It's got some, I'm going to say, I don't like the word fake, but they're more for show skid plates underneath. Uh, This got 18 inch wheels and all-terrain Firestone tires uh, that are 
uh, more aggressive and more, uh, they're beefier than a standard tread all season tire, but, uh, they're pretty, pretty, uh, quiet on the highway. And I want to get your feeling on the, on the trail sport here. It's more of an appearance package, uh, versus being an actual performance upgrade for the uh, passport. Well, this is certainly a trend we've seen uh, over the course of the last year or two, maybe a little longer than that, where manufacturers are uh, kind of ginning up the fact that uh, these SUVs are off-roaders, or look like off-roaders anyway. And I think that's what the public is demanding, or at least a, a piece of the public is demanding. I think they like that. I think they like the idea of uh, venturing out uh, off-road, whether they ever do it or not is another thing, but they want to look like they can, and an, appear- an appearance package is the way to do it on you know less expensively than actually having all the stuff you need. So uh, I guess uh, from a marketing sense, at least, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it does. And what I keep coming back to in my mind while I was driving this is the difference between uh, for Subaru. If you, we talk about Subaru, for example, they have the wilderness versions of the Outback and the Forester. Uh, they have a little bit more ground clearance. They have a more uh, aggressive transmission tuning and, and everything. So they actually do get some some physical updates or some mechanical updates, I should say, uh, to make them more rugged. But the you know the Passport was, was pretty decent uh, off-road as it was, as I said. So um, just like the regular Passport, the Trail Sport can tow up to 5,000 pounds. Uh, it gets around 19 miles per gallon in the city, around 24, 25 on the highway. Uh, and for people who don't take it off-road, you'll be perfectly uh, happy to know that it's quiet and comfortable uh, on the road, both in town and on the highway. Uh, the Trail Sport has leather interior. It's black leather interior with orange stitching throughout. It has the wonderful center console storage unit that the standard Passport has. It's a really wide and deep unit. It's got a sliding top on it. You could fit, uh, I could almost fit a, an iPad in there, not quite my laptop, but there's just a lot of storage space in this vehicle. So for me, hauling two kids and now a puppy around, uh, there was plenty of spaces, and Honda does a good job with their, you know, like their doors uh, and their glove box storage. There's cubbies everywhere. The doors are really cleverly designed with small cubbies up top and a larger one down below. So for families, even if you're not going to take it off road, you still have a lot to like on the pavement. As I mentioned, the redesigned bumpers and the the appearance, it, it does look really great. The aggressive uh, look suits the Passport very well. So uh, no complaints there. And with the technology, it's got a standard eight inch touchscreen. It runs Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. It has Bluetooth, uh, Wi-Fi hotspot, wireless charging. So it's got all the things that you know people would really expect out of a, I guess, a luxury SUV. But it's you know priced more reasonably, and you do have some some good capability there. Uh, the the Passport for me is a winner, and I think the Trail Sport only makes it better for a certain group of people, of course. Well, I like it. I can't wait to drive that particular edition and uh, just see what I think about it. Here's a vehicle I don't have to uh, explain very much. It's the Toyota Highlander. It's been a favorite of midsize SUV buyers for years and years and years. Not a lot of changes for the 2022 model year, but it's still a really good choice in the segment. It's offered in eight and seven passenger versions. And it can be had with a conventional gasoline engine or a uh, gas electric hybrid. Uh, front drive is the base configuration. All-wheel drive is widely available. And I think Toyota has been feeling the heat a little bit from Hyundai, the Hyundai Palisade, uh, from Kia, the Kia Telluride. So it's upped its game, uh, especially in the interior. I think that's a place where uh, Toyota has improved markedly over the course of the last two or three years. They've also added a special edition. It's the Hybrid Bronze Edition. It's not the Bronze Age Edition. Uh, it has a lot of bronze-colored exterior pieces, including the wheels. What's your? I think this is popular in a lot of markets, but not necessarily in the American market. What's your take on 
bronze edition stuff. We're seeing a lot of that uh, worldwide. Yeah, you know, I think for me, at least, it's sort of a throwback to uh, older rally cars like the Subaru with the, the bronze wheels on it and everything. But uh, I mean, I personally like the style. I actually looked at bronze bronzing the wheels for my Porsche, if it makes me sound like too much of a nerd. But uh, I don't have a problem with it. I think that, you know, appearance packages are are attractive to a certain group of people. But as you mentioned, as we just talked about with the trail sport, uh, you know, from a marketing perspective, it's smart. But how many people are going to buy it? I don't know. The, the Highlander Hybrid is a great vehicle, though. Yeah, it is. I don't know that I would get the bronze edition myself, but that's why they make different flavors of ice cream. The Highlander is available in a bunch of different grades. Of course, they sell a bunch of them, so they can uh, have multiple grades. There's the L, LE, XLE grades, uh, and, the, and the platinum, limited and platinum trims are the luxury trims on the gasoline side. They have recently unveiled, for in 2021, they in, unveiled the sports-oriented XSE, it has 20-inch machine-faced alloy wheels, its own fascia, its own grill, and, and lower spoiler. It's supposed to look um, like a performance vehicle. I guess it does look like a performance vehicle, not just it's supposed to. It, of course, has those uh, black accents that are so popular these days and, and daytime run, running lamps. So what I'm saying here is there's a Highlander for pretty much every taste out there. I, and uh, that's also true in the engine compartment. The uh, Highlander has uh, a choice of several engine options. There's a conventional V6, and there is the four-cylinder with electric motor, the hybrid. It can be front drive. That's a standard uh, configuration or all-wheel drive. The base powertrain has a 295-horsepower, 3.5-liter V6 engine with an eight-speed automatic transmission, kind of throwback in a lot of ways. Uh, it uses a stop-start system. That is unobtrusive, so that's good. If you're looking for higher fuel economy, you might want to take a look at the hybrid. It is a little bit down on power. Well, I guess it's 50 horsepower down on power from the V6, but it has a two and a half liter four-cylinder engine and electric motors. Which of these do you think you would cho choose, uh, Chris? I think Toyota does hybrids about as well as or better than almost anybody else. I would probably opt for the hybrid, even though it's down on power. I think it's tough to beat an SUV with that size, and then the, the fuel economy that they, they bring with it is, is a pretty great combination. I really like the drivability of the hybrid. Uh, Sandy and I, my wife and I, drove all over the southeast. I think we were in your uh, old stomping grounds of uh, Knoxville and around there in Tennessee, eastern Tennessee, uh, as part of the trip, and we really enjoyed it in the uh, hybrid, so... Uh, I would certainly endorse that vehicle. It is down on horsepower versus the V6, but uh, it also has a lot of immediate torque, and torque is brought to bear uh, whenever needed, so that works out very, very well. The V6, though, is, is fairly quick for a three-row SUV. 60 miles an hour comes from a stop in 6.8 seconds, so that's uh, much quicker than the hybrid. The Highlander offers a bunch of different interior combinations, and as I say, they have upgraded the interior pretty significantly. They also have upgraded the infotainment technology. In fact, you can get a 12.3-inch display uh, as standard in the platinum trim that's available on the limited trim. 8-inch display is the standard unit, and uh, Toyota has come a long way. Uh, they, they were trailing, I think, uh, in terms of infotainment systems uh, two or three years ago, and have really changed their tune and had gotten much, much better. So uh, that is good in the Highlander. And uh, if you're looking at a used Highlander versus a new one, I'd look at the new ones because the infotainment system is, is that much better. 
The Highlander also has a ton of uh, safety. Toyota Safety Sense 2.5 Plus is standard across the lineup. It's a an amazing collection of stuff. I've, I've been writing a lot about uh, luxury SUVs lately, and a lot of the stuff that is optional on luxury SUVs is standard on the most basic Toyota Highlander. So that's interesting, and fuel economy is good as well. What's your take on the overall value of the Highlander, Chris? Well, I think it, you know as it becomes more expensive, it dwindles a little bit, but I, I do think you have a couple of things to look at. With the hybrid, you have the great fuel economy, uh, that's a comfortable vehicle, even in lower trims with the gas engine, you know, so uh, you have plenty of space and comfort. I think that it's a great vehicle, but you know, there are a lot of great options too. So it really comes down to personal taste. There really are. I think the the value is there though, certainly on the Highlander uh, base price around $35,000. If you go to a all wheel drive platinum, it's about 50 K you have essentially a luxury vehicle there for around $50,000 with all every bell and whistle you could imagine. So I think the Toyota Highlander is a terrific, terrific value. Well, when we come back, we will be interviewing Mike Koval, who is the CEO of the Ram brand. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad with you, and we're so glad you're with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nierad back with you, and we're at the Chicago Auto Show. So if you hear noise in the background. It's cars driving around and being tested by various people here at the auto show. What a great guest we have for you. Mike Koval is the CEO of the Ram brand. Thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. It's great to be with you. Thank you. It's got to be great to be CEO of the Ram brand these days too because you have so much going on and uh, you know such great products uh, including one you introduced today. Why don't we talk a bit about that first? Well sure and uh, the Ram brand has been on a, a fantastic roll as of late. In fact, uh, in the round 2021 was probably the best year in the history of the brand. And I'm, I, I often remind myself that we're not that old. We're actually one of the younger brands in the industry becoming a standalone brand in just 2009. So uh, wonderful sales momentum, overall up uh, 1% last year. But um, built to serve, built to serve is, uh, is an adage that our customers and fans are pretty familiar with. Uh, it's a, it's, it's who we and are. And you've been putting that out there as a marketing well, message for a while now, right? It's who we are as a brand. Yeah. It's who we are as a brand. And so one of the ways that we thought we could honor the brave men and women who serve our country, whether it's in the armed forces or, or first responders in this particular case, uh, what a way to honor them, but by creating a bespoke model in their, in their honor with their spirit and, and some unique features and content for sure. But the reveal today was our second edition of our Built to Serve uh, lineup. This was the Firefighter Edition. So, of course, to honor the brave men and women who are... who right. are uh, In Fire Engine Red, too. Red line, <laughs> yes, really gets which is a, which lot is of a beautiful, it's a beautiful yeah. color. It's yeah. a beautiful color, really striking. But, um, but again, uh, just couldn't think of a better way to honor, really. That's what it's all about. Right. Well, give us a little little bit about the content of the vehicle, because it's a special vehicle. Sure is. And uh, so you have... uh, It's available in two colors only, very limited, by the way. Production is very limited, uh, but Redline and also Diamond Black. Uh, The exterior is uh, really, uh, it's a sharp look with a black uh, grill and surround, uh, black premium bezel lighting, uh, 20-inch aluminum wheels with unique uh, technical gray. This is unique to the edition. Uh, uh, black wheel-to-wheel side steps, dual four-inch black exhaust tips, really a striking exterior, really stands out. Uh, we also offer decals on each of the rear quarter panels, the U, uh, United States flag, uh, and, uh, and a built-to-serve logo as well. 
And then when you transition into the interior, we don't we don't stop there. It's uh, it's really got some unique items. Uh, it has a Velcro. Uh, I yeah. was going to bring that up. I mean, that's such a cool idea. I don't think I've seen that before. Uh, yeah, just something unique and different that Ram is doing. So it allows uh, either our men and women from the armed services or first responders to uh, display their their badges proudly. They have some have patches or slogans or name tapes. Yeah. Uh, it really allows them to customize their built to serve edition. Yeah. Very, very cool stuff. And, and that will be available momentarily. I yeah, think, right? actually, uh, j this spring. Yeah. Let's talk a, a, a little broader about the Ram brand. And, uh, you know, 2021, I think, was a challenging um, year for, <laughs> for so many brands, right? Uh, from a production point of view, how was production for you in 2021? Well, it was uh, at times certainly rocky. I mean, it, the, the I give a lot of credit to our purchasing and supply chain teams, and and the uh, and really as as a global company, we have had teams working around the clock. And I, I think about speed of, of of issue identification, speed of issue resolution, and I believe our men and women did it better than just about anybody else. And you can see that in the performance, uh, second best year all time ever uh, in terms of absolute volume sales, our best market share year ever. And that doesn't just happen. So very, very proud of the team, and I think we uh, did it better than anybody. It's got to be difficult to have that happen when you're threatened inventory-wise, right? Threatened from a production standpoint with well, what, what's out there. And, and credit our dealers. I mean, let's really give credit to our dealer partners. Uh, they have found ways uh, to turn the inventory at all-time record rates, selling right off the truck, uh, our dealer partners have embraced the sold order process, so they're, so they're selling well in advance. But, uh, but the product, again, it's back to the product too. The product is spectacular. Uh, you know, we talked about today that Ram revolutionized what people think about a pickup truck before. We tend to do it again with electrification. Yeah, well let's dive into that. Electrification is certainly on everybody's mind. We're seeing electric pickup trucks from startups. We're seeing electric pickup trucks from your competitors. How does Ram fit into this whole scheme? Sure. Well, first, we are in full motion. We are, we are in fast forward on our plan to bring our suite of electric solutions to the market, starting with, uh, well, first of all, the ProMaster battery electric vehicle in 2023, our large van, the Ram 1500 battery electric vehicle, and range extended paradigm breaker in 2024. But that's really, as we announced today, that's really what the Ram revolution is all about. It's about bringing our fans into the journey that we're all on together. So we plan on fanning out across America, uh, speaking with real truck owners over the course of the year. We'll give them an opportunity to speak directly to our engineers and designers to be able to influence not only our concept vehicle, because of course that inspires the products we actually bring to market. So it's going to be a busy year, but, but very exciting. Yeah. Let's talk ab about capabilities from an electric pickup truck. I mean, certainly capability, the ability to haul, to tow, all of that. Uh, is critical, right? I mean, that's what they're all Table about. Table stakes. Yeah. Table stakes for pickup trucks. Yeah, you have to do that. At the same time, a pickup truck is probably carrying, what, a thousand, an electric pickup truck has a thousand pounds of batteries or something like that. How does that figure in? Tell me. Uh, well, uh, we, we, know, we know that um, there's a lot of apprehension. Let's be honest. There's a lot of apprehension. I think pickup truck owners still they still depend on their trucks to do the things that they want to do, whether it's to tow or to haul, and in many cases, long distances. Ram knows this, Ram knows this. So we are focused on not only bringing the right product to the market at the right time, and Ram has a history of doing that, but we will push past what the competitors have announced 
and past what customers even expect. And I think once you have a chance to see that and drive it and experience it, uh, we will we will alleviate those concerns better than our competition because of the fuller portfolio of electric solutions that we're bringing to market. Why don't you tell our listeners, at least hint to our listeners about uh, you know some of the advantages of electricity in a pickup truck? Because I think there are probably quite a few, and, and maybe they're not just jumping to their minds. So. From your point of view, what are what are some of the advantages of going electric? More power, more torque, uh, obviously zero emissions, of course, as we uh, really uh, embrace the sustainability, not only of the Ram brand and of the corporation. We have very, very aspirational goals as a company. But let's that's where the market is taking us. So how are we going to, how is Ram going to do it better than the others? And, um, and, and with full knowledge of what our competitors are announcing, We'll, we, we'll push past with more range, more power, more capability, more functionality, and more productivity overall. Yeah. It's interesting too, to me, as an observer of the industry, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't have to tell you this, but uh, this is, every, every aspect of the industry is price sensitive, right? Except maybe the super luxuries where the higher the price, maybe the, the more demand you get. But otherwise, price is really critical. and. Certainly electrification is expensive versus a conventional anything, right? Uh, how does that figure into what you look at from demand curve, stakes, all of that stuff? Sure, well we've prided ourselves I think over time ensuring that uh, Ram has something for everybody. And we really, uh, from our Ram 1500 Classic, uh, focusing on the commercial trade and entry level, all the way up to the new Ram 1500 which focuses on the heart of the market, all the way up into the premium space. And we know, we know that for sure you're right, elect the cost of electrification, certainly up front, is, is something that has to be dealt with and we are dealing with it. Uh, but we'll make sure that we, we don't lose sight of who our customers are and, uh, and we'll, we will make sure that we have something for everybody. And by the way, we're, we're, I think we're very early in market penetration, right? We, there's mm -hmm. been a lot of conversation, haven't really sold much overall, talking about the industry in general. Right. So we're all watching it very, very closely. Yeah. Yeah, well, we're certainly going that direction. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about ProMaster. I think there's a success story there. Uh, a lot going on, uh, even from the consumer use of those basically commercial vehicles. Tell us uh, what's what's the latest from ProMaster. Well, I would say uh, we talk so much about Ram 1500 and Ram heavy duty pickups. I mean, the Ram 1500 is the most awarded light duty pickup truck in America. What we don't talk a lot about is Ram commercial. And you know, again, we forget that we're a relatively young brand in the industry overall, and Ram Commercial is even younger than that. But the ProMaster large van, honest to goodness, is red hot. Uh, the demand for large vans right now, particularly last mile delivery services, is off the charts. And we are working feverishly with our uh, purchasing and supply chain teams to find more capacity because we're completely sold out. And, um, but uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing, and, and we will obviously bring our, and we've announced uh, last month at CES, we're bringing our first battery electric ProMaster, which brings a lot of benefit with it in 2023. And just having Amazon announcing as their first commercial partner, buyer of, of these particular vehicles, which of course will enhance their sustainable delivery network as well. So uh, the product is absolutely on a roll. And uh, we have a lot, by the way, this is going to be a big year for ProMaster. We have, we have more announcements coming as well, so stay tuned. Oh, that's exciting. Well, elect uh, electrification works so well, I think, for a delivery situation, right? A fleet kind of situation. 
Uh, it takes a lot of the, the guesswork out of charging, all of that. Um, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, you? it's. I think really what it comes down to is the predictability. It's the predictability of the routes. Um, everything that you just mentioned, there's a total cost of ownership element to it. Uh, less mechanical parts, let's face it. Uh, those duty cycles are really important. You have to understand them. Uh, but um, but our, our version, our technology will allow greater use of, of the uh, of of the back of the van as well, uh, working on a lot of really clever solutions to offer even more capability to our customers. So uh, again, we're more to follow this year. It's going to be an exciting year, but uh, but it makes a lot of sense and it works well in that space. Yeah, talk a little bit about van life too. That's probably you know kicked up some sales for you as well. Well, it, it just um, the last couple of years we've all been through a lot, haven't we? But we've seen an explosion in this this concept, uh, if you will, of of van life. And uh, whether people are working remotely or choose to camp or, or live out of their van or whatever the case may be, it's another way to connect with our customers, specifically to our, our story. But uh, what people are doing with their vans is just, it's really exciting. And I think we can all relate to it on, uh, on one level or another. So uh, that's what really Van Life is all about. It's about connecting with our customers in a different, unique way, just like Ram Revolution is on the, uh, on the pickup truck side. Yeah. What can uh, the Ram fan look forward to in 2022? Well, I think that uh, it's going to be a busy year. We have a, a, a laundry list of things, a constant drumbeat, I like to say, a constant drumbeat of Ram EV tech news throughout the year, which will culminate in the reveal of the uh, full concept model at the end of 2022. So it's going to be an exciting year for Ram 1500 buyers. Uh, and intenders, and then of course we talked about ProMaster as well. Let's not forget our commercial friends. Uh, it's going to be an exciting year there as well. So a lot going on. It'll be fun. Yeah. Well, we look forward to every bit of it. Uh, Mike Koval, thanks so much for being with us right here at the Chicago Auto Show and representing uh, the Ram brand, of which you are CEO. Very cool. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Christine Jackney Red with you, and it is listener question time. Boy, we love uh, to take your listener questions. We're always sad at this point in the show because it's coming to an end, but at the same time, we love to take your listener questions, and I think I've got a great listener question, and I'm curious as to Chris Teague's answer to this. Here it is. It's from Leon in Palm Desert, California. Leon says, Gasoline just keeps getting more and more expensive, it's almost $5 a gallon for regular where I live. I'm wondering if I should think about buying an electric car to save on fuel costs. What's your take? Well, I think you absolutely could get an, ex uh, an electric vehicle to save on fuel costs. What I will say is this. If you are in a position with your current car where the financials are, are favorable, so you either have it paid off or you have equity built into the vehicle, uh, you might want to hold on to it, especially in the way the market is going right now, and wait wait things out. If you uh, you know if you are desperate for an electric vehicle and you're desperate to save money on fuel, uh, there are several great options now, and there will be even more coming out before the end of 2022. So, the time has probably never been better to be shopping, even with the the prices the way they're going. You know, the variety is growing. So, you know, I think we keep. I'm talking about a different topic now altogether, but uh, I think you know. The electric vehicle could be a great option to save you money uh, if you have a charger and you, you really need one. Well, that was kind I, of a, a silly answer, Jack. Sorry. I, I don't think it's a silly answer. And I think uh, I, there's a lot of truth in what you say. But I think if you're looking just to save money, 
buying an electric car to save money is a fool's errand here. <laughs> Even with gas at $5 a gallon, and heaven knows it is $5 a gallon here in Southern California. I experience it uh, you know, every day of the week. Um, you're going to pay so much of a premium for an electric car that it's going to take you years and years and years to pay that off if that's what you're looking to do. Uh, if you don't care about electric for any other reason except to save money, then don't don't go there, I would say. Uh, instead, uh, keep your gasoline car and suck it up and pay the $5 a gallon. And uh, another question is, how long will we have $5 a gallon gas? Will it be a long period of time or will it be a fairly short period of time? And I think... Uh, <laughs> Nobody has a crystal ball on that, but uh, we've seen the price of gas go up and down before, and uh, I think it's likely to go down again at some point. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> yes, I do think gas will go back down at some point in time. Uh, when is anybody's guess, given the, the state of the world as, as things are? Uh, but you know, people tend to buy vehicles based on gas prices, which uh, could be tough as things change, but uh, again, you, you never have a crystal ball. You don't, and uh, we don't, and we don't have any more time in the show either. That's the end of the show for this week. Always great to talk with you, Chris, about cars. I look forward to doing it again next week. You as well. Hopefully I don't fall victim to any more stomach illnesses, but I will say if everyone likes what they heard and they want to hear more, please check us out on sportsmapradio.com. Head to the Saturday schedule, and you can find our original podcast on Apple as well as a radio-translated podcast done by the SportsMap uh, people. So uh, I hope to see you there. Yes, and our thanks to the sports, sports map radio stations around the country that carry America on the road. Uh, kudos to you. Thanks so much for doing that. And thanks so much to you for listening to America on the Road. We really do appreciate it. You're the only reason we do what we do. So thanks for being out there. And join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. And if you're about to buy a new car, a used car, or just care about cars, go to DrivingToday.com where there's a world of automotive information for you every week. That's drivingtoday.com, the official automotive website of America on the road.